The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Matt. Thank you. It's nice. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> put you up to that. That's not nice. That's just terrible. <laughs> Pat McAfee just crushing me yesterday. It was a rough. It was a rough day for me. I just. Can you play it for Jerry? Can, I'm sure Jerry. Jerry doesn't want it. Oh yeah, this. he does. He, does. he knows. He, oh yeah, he's a big listener. Pat McAfee. <laughs> Jerry really wants to hear this. We're getting uh-huh. some sound bites out of Seattle, a Seattle sports podcast, Brock Heward and Mark. Uh, Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. 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 I mean, it was it was awesome. Awesome. We, we are. It's pretty rough. <laughs> But entertaining, nonetheless. Sure, for everybody else, yes. I'm the one who's got to live with this. Um, hey, I was down there yesterday, Jerry. I'm just going to change the subject. We don't have to keep talking about this. I was uh, I was down there yesterday, and I heard a very good question asked of Scott, and I'm kind of curious what your answer would be. Scott was asked, what is your favorite pitch of Luis Castillo's? Strike one. <laughs> the the you know, and I guess in, in LC's case, maybe strike three too. But uh, you know, I've, I've always a big subscriber to, you know, working ahead in the count. That's how you get major league hitters out. But I, it, it all the pitches play so well together. And everything he, that comes out of his hand is it's top of the charts. The, the run and sink on the two-seamer, it's the ride and the velocity on the four-seamer. The changeup is just filthy. I and and right now, and maybe yesterday, most of all, as a Mariner, he's just all of it is clicking. And, you know, he's uh, he's he's as good as anybody right now, I think. Scott, he, by the way, went with the uh, the riding four seamer. That was his favorite just because of the way it played off of all the stuff that's low in the zone. Well, and it's 100. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's at the. <laughs> at the top of the zone when you've got the kind of, you know, action and movement he does with, with all the other weapons. And then you can throw a hundred miles an hour at the top of the zone. It's a, that's pretty hard to beat. Jerry, I'm going to ask you a couple of things today from a, a scouting background. So a little history. Um, and, and I, I guess I want to ask you about Luis first, you know, he's new to all of us largely here. I mean, I don't think many Mariners fans watched him in Cincinnati, but he's not new to baseball. He's going to be 30 in December. I am curious if you will go in the way back machine to the first time you saw him, you scouted him, you became on the radar of, of major league scouts and major league scouting departments. Do you remember way back when with Luis? I do. Uh, and actually, we, we tried to trade for Luis at, at the trade deadline in 2016. And the, the first conversation I ever had where his name came up, we were in trade discussions at that time with the Marlins. And uh, we were, they were looking for Wade Miley, who was a, a left-hand starter with us at the time. And, you know, in return, we were trying to get Luis Castillo. And, you know, we didn't get him. They wound up trading him in a different direction. Uh, and, and, you know, that was our loss. And, and ultimately, we did trade uh, Wade to Baltimore. But that was the first time we ever really discussed Luis. And, and if, if I recall, the first person who brought Luis to to you know, my or our attention was former GM Woody Woodward, uh, who was with us for a number of years and almost exclusively covered the Marlins and the, and the Rays and their Florida-based teams for, for those years. And Luis Castillo was, was somebody who was pretty high on. Uh, Jerry, we uh, have, have a friend that's been in the building, and his son is a reliever for the Blue Jays, Adam Simber. And I remember talking to his dad, Russ, and he would say, gosh, you know, Adam, when he picked up a baseball, this is how he threw it. 
like when he was eight, nine, ten. It wasn't like, oh, we're 18, let's figure out a way to get to the big leagues. It was like, this is the way he always was comfortable throwing a baseball. Luis Castillo's arm slot, right, and just that style and just the way he's gone about it. Has that been his game for a decade plus? It really has, you know, and uh, I, I guess in some ways, you know, the the way we teach pitching now, and, and you know, we as the Mariners, and I think it, as a, an industry practice, you know, it used to be more standardized or uniform, and you, pitchers looked a little bit more like robots, and, and you were trying to teach them, especially in the 1980s, we called it tall and fall, and and most pitchers looked the same when they threw, and and now our general take is, the way you throw the ball, your natural when you pick up the ball to go throw it, that's probably the way you were meant to throw, and your body's going to start self-correcting on the way down the hill, and it, and it starts there. And you know, this is Luis, and and you know he throws a lot. You know, mechanically, it's a lot like Kevin Brown, and you know, or even to some degree Pedro with that lower slot, and and you know all those different weapons that we talked about. They play up because of the slot. You know, I, I think of Max Scherzer and, and Kevin Brown and, and and Pedro Martinez throwing that kind of velocity with that kind of movement and the ability to hit all the quadrants for the strike zone from that low three-quarter slot. And that is just tough on a hitter. Jerry, um, I want to talk to you about the, the rule changes that are starting to come down the pike. And we heard about this last week, right, with the, with the banning of the shift and the bigger bases, uh, and the pitch clock, how will that affect the way you scout players, evaluate players, and the way you build a team? You know, I, I actually think the, the only one that will greatly affect the way we scout players, you know, might wind up being the, the ban on shifting or the, the adjustment in that regard. And, and uh, I, it, or even the way we teach hitting, you know, moving forward. And uh, for a number of years, the the general tenor has been just hit it over the shift uh, because the the players are are positioned where they are because each individual hitter's spray chart, you know, their results suggest that that's where they hit the ball the most often. And and some hitters just have a terrible time trying to adjust, you know, in swing because of some of the things we just talked about with pitchers like Luis Castillo, you know, it's a, it sounds a lot easier to say, Hey, hit it the other way until you see someone throwing a hundred mile an hour fastball that moves 20 inches. <laughs> it's a, that's not an easy thing to, to track when you have you know, milliseconds to make your decision, whether you're going to swing or take. So I do think that, that, that you know, the, the shifts is going to be the one area where you're going to see a, a profound difference. I, I, it, it stands to reason that hitting is going to get easier and there will be uh, less uh, uh, a focus on whether a player is adjustable in his swing. And, you know, back to the days of the, you know, the pole hitter is, is an effective thing. And, and right now pole hitters have been muted, but the rest of it is very much in line with what we've been doing in, in minor league or even in, in amateur baseball, you know, the, the pitch clocks and we're still looking for athletes who can play baseball is the, at the end of the day, how we'll scout them. Do you have uh, players on your team now that you think will benefit the most from the changes specifically with the shift? Uh, tough to say. You know, I do think that organizationally, there's we've got a few left-hand hitters who, you know, certainly will will benefit. And I, you know, in the minor leagues, I would say right now, Jared Kelnick is, is someone who just watching stylistically over the course of the last few years seems, you know, a logical benefactor in this way. 
Uh, I also think Cal Raleigh is like to benefit to, to some degree. But I think if you look at our team and the success that we've had offensively this year, uh, that success has has been in part due to the fact that we don't get too hung up on on pulling the ball all the time. Our players do move it around the field or they just hit it over the fence. Well, this is a little easier way back machine. Uh, this is uh, than Luis Castillo, but that was a blast hearing some of that background with him. And you just said you're looking for great athletes who can play baseball. Well, your greatest athlete is doing stuff never seen before in baseball in Julio Rodriguez. Jerry, take me back to the first time you ever, in person, laid eyes on him. Uh, The first time I met Julio, he came over uh, to Peoria, Arizona for a high-performance camp. Uh, He was was, uh, 18 years old at the time. And why it was unforgettable is typically, you know, you would have to seek out a player. And you know, if, uh, if I were interested in, in finding you know, one of our minor leaguers in, in the pool of players that come, you're going to have to go ask a coach, hey, can you point me towards so-and-so? Or, you know, I would walk around the, the weight room or on the fields introducing myself to, to various players. You know, the, the first morning that I was there, I was, uh, I was on the elliptical facing out to the fields and, and riding away with my earbuds in. And Julio came up and stood in front of the elliptical uh, and and put his hand out. I took my earbud out and he, he said, Jefe, I'm Julio. <laughs> and I thought that was fantastic. And uh, it showed you a little bit, of, you know, about who he is. You know, he's uh, he's he's such an engaging guy. He's very outgoing. And. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but for an 18-year-old whose second language is English, who's in the United States for the first time, to go to, to ask someone else, hey, where, who's that? And then come over and, and say hello. That takes courage. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's part of who Julio is. A little deeper level, and you can shoot this down. You were very kind to me last week. Um, you, you didn't criticize me publicly for my missteps about Luis Castillo at the top of the zone. You actually very publicly corrected me in a very kind way. So if I'm <laughs> wrong on this, you can go ahead and cut my legs out and just say, no, you are flat out wrong on this. But I'm curious, and I'm watching my son, very young, kind of watch this baseball process. But I got friends whose kids are a little older and who have gone through it. And the machine that is perfect game, the machine that is all performance in youth baseball, the machine that's all ratings, the machine in America that is all about these numbers and this data. And I just wonder, Jerry, um, yesterday Jeff Passon said magnetic. That's a word we've heard a lot with Julio. Do you think the grind of youth baseball in America is demagnetizing kids? Because Julio and many of his compadres there from the Dominican just seem to have a magnetism, a joy to play. And I just wonder if the grind of the performance-driven youth baseball system demagnetizes kids. You know, I don't think it does. Um, and, and why I say that isn't necessarily because youth baseball hasn't changed. And you know, in, in the last 10 or, or even 15 years, the way youth baseball happens, is it's, I would call it segmented. And, you know, we see in so many cases, we see, you know, big uh, events where players are playing in three or five inning increments. We, we see pitchers who are on very restricted pitch counts who aren't really throwing all of their pitches or, or facing a hitter for a second or third time in the lineup, which is something that was kind of fundamental as, as a developmental tool when we were growing up. And, 
and and when we were first scouting baseball, you know, 20 and 25 years ago, I guess. But uh, why I don't think it, it has changed that the magnetic personality is the same things are happening in Latin America. You know, in, in Latin America, most of the players that we sign, I shouldn't say most, many of the players that we sign haven't really played competitive baseball. They've, they have played in those same types of environments where most of their existence as players has been geared toward you know, developing what we call showcase tools, you know, power and arm strength and running speed, because that's historically how young players in Latin America have been scouted and signed. And, and the, the actual playing of the game is secondary. And oftentimes we don't find out about the player's game ability mm. until after they've signed. So it's a, it's almost in Latin America over the years, it's almost more magnified than it is in, in today's domestic amateur baseball. That's interesting. Uh, talking to Jerry DePoto, uh, as we do, of course, every week, uh, Jerry, hard question, but do you have any concern about some of the recent games you guys have had that maybe haven't been played as cleanly as, as really has been your calling card over the last almost two years, uh, just a few more errors, a few more mistakes, just more than I think we're used to seeing with this team. Yeah, we did have a couple of sloppy games in there. And, you know, the, the the easiest thing to do is to allow yourself to get carried away with, you know, hey, we made a couple of errors. We hadn't done that in a month. And <laughs> and uh, and then remember, man, we haven't done that in a month. It's a, it's what we're watching, you know, with the, the, the clean play, the consistency that, that this team has shown is it's it's part of what's made us a very good team this year. It's also extraordinary. And, and you're going to have days where you make mistakes. And much of this last homestand, especially the early part of the homestand, and I think I mentioned this last week, is I almost want to provide somewhat of a hall pass because of the uniqueness of the schedule that led into it with you know, the, the extended game in Cleveland and, and coming back to play an afternoon game against the White Sox. And, and I, I, I can say to some degree, although it's been decades to, to, to try to dig into the Wayback Machine and remember – what that does to your body is is it's really tough when you're playing every day and you have to get out there and even just emotionally trying to get up and stay sharp. So the fact that we had a couple of sloppy games in there is is at some point expected, but in this present case, I would say it's it's allowable. And hopefully now we can you know, take our breath today and, and get back on track for these last 20 games. Yeah, as you look at the final one-eighth of the season and you study that historically, Jerry, what is it about teams that finish the final one-eighth well? Uh, there's, I think you have to if you want to go deep into a postseason and win, and that's what we want to do. It, uh, you just can't get off the gas. They're, uh, the, the finishers finish. You know, it's like coming in and closing out a win. Nobody wants to limp to the finish line. And we've got a lot of guys that are having really good years. And for them personally, it, the, the finish is important. For us collectively, the finish is important. And I, I don't know, you know if, you, if you quiz 50 people, you know, 25 may believe in momentum and 25 don't. I do. And I, and I do think that momentum is is important as you head into the, the that last push in the season and and hopefully we show up at uh this team's shown up all year long and, and i suspect we will for these last three weeks you mentioned trying to make a, a deep playoff run i think everybody here would be very excited about that obviously but as you as you go about thinking who will be in your rotation for a playoff run like that what are you looking for what, what's important in choosing a postseason rotation 
Well, I guess for us, it, it'd be hard to go wrong with how everybody's pitching right now. Is a, a, Our rotation has been so strong for, for most of the year, but especially for the last couple of months. And, and you know, pretty dynamic, especially since Louis joined at the, the trading deadline. But you know, mostly you're looking at the opponent. Who are your best matchups? You know, you might get a team that's a little more right-handed than left. Where, you know, as we go through our our meetings that head into setting a postseason roster or rotation or even how we use our bullpen on a given night all of those things become factors and a lot of it becomes about who has the 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 hot hand in that moment and how do they line up against your opponent and and those will be big factors for us as we line it up Hey, we have tried to figure out jerry and it's an impossible question who's got the nastiest slider in the rotation or in the bullpen they're all a little bit different they come from different angles they move differently but i'm curious just watching swanee again yesterday i should call him swanson i I'm, i can't do that um i'm a professional uh when i watch him and he's got a little different arsenal right he's got that splitter do you think that plays to his advantage that uh that his stuff is maybe just a little bit different than all of the heavy fastball slider I do, and it's part of the reason why you often see Scott or, or Trent and Woody slot Swanee in uh, against the left-hand hitters. He does have a weapon that allows him to, to be a better matchup against a lot of those lefties, and and for to some extent that you know, and I I heard the the, the noise to a degree during the deadline about the need for a lefty in the bullpen. And at right, wrong, or indifferent, and fair or unfair, but Swanee has kind of assumed that role for us and, and has done a great job of it. But, you know, the thing that, that Eric does that's different than really anybody in our bullpen or really anybody in baseball is if you watch how his arm carries in back of him, you just don't see his arm show up until it comes out in front. And it's, uh, he carries it so far along the, the, the trip down the hill, and he's tall, so it, it just pops up from in back of him. And, and I think he has the the most difficult arm to pick up maybe in, in major league baseball. And, and that his 93, 95 plays like it's a hundred and his breaking ball is, is so severe because you just don't get to track it as long as the other guys. That's Swanee's special gift is how, how long you don't see his arm. <laughs> You got a lot of filthy dudes on this team, honestly. Like, I just yeah. as, as every time we have these conversations, I'm struck by how easy it is to just sort of ask you, "Hey, tell me about this guy's stuff." And, and it feels like you could spend forever just describing what makes each guy in this rotation or in this bullpen as good as they've been. Now, this this is I, I, this is the best pitching staff that I've ever been associated with, and and. Um, and I've and I've been fortunate enough to watch some great ones through the years, and 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 this is such a special group. They all do something a little bit different. Uh, it, it's hard to point at, at an individual player on this team or pitcher on this team and not immediately be able to cite, you know, a handful of things that they have done to heavily contribute to to the team having this year. And and I'd have to give credit to to Kyle Torgerson, our medical team, and and the pitchers themselves for the work they're doing just to stay healthy. That's the, you know, maybe our our biggest gift this year has been the general health of our pitchers. You know, that's we have a good pitching staff, and they've gone out and they've pitched their innings, which is a big thing. Hey, uh, Jerry, last question for me is kind of on the flip side of a lot of this in the final twenty some games, twenty games here. How do you get Winker going? 
Is he, is he kind of study it and you kind of look at it and you guys look at it in infinitely more ways than we do? If he is to, to find a gear and to get back to what he has been, what's he got to do here down the stretch? No, it was nice to see him get on base yesterday. He'd been slumping in what has been, you know, a, a very slow season for Jesse and, and he knows it and it's been a frustration for him. And at some point as, as a player, and it's been a battle for, for Jesse for a lot of the year, you know, he had a hot streak in the, in the midsummer, and, and outside of that, it's been an atypical year for him for, for a guy who's been an excellent major league hitter for a number of years and my guess is he's going to show up next year and be an excellent major league hitter. And and part of what you need to do is just let it go in a moment. And I'm sure it was the same on the football field. You just have to have that moment where you just let it go and let yourself play instead of thinking about it too much. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough game to play every day when, when you constantly are, are grinding on something. And, and uh, you know, and Jesse's worked really hard to try to figure it out, and and he's had moments for us for sure where he's where he's delivered. You know, again, uh, you could cite an easy handful on how he's contributed to his team, but I think it's unrealistic to think that he's going to to make an adjustment that solves this in a moment. It's just going to be letting go and having fun play. And, and my guess is, when that happens, you'll see the hits start pouring. Hey, what were you thinking, Jerry? Last thing here, uh, down seven six heading into the ninth inning on Sunday. Uh, I got to be honest. I didn't see the outcome as it was, as it happened, <laughs> you know, me neither. Were you in a that. good headspace? Not a good headspace. Uh, my headspace changed dramatically in the top of the ninth. Day. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then it changed again, lo and behold, in the in the bottom of the ninth. And you know, I think the the the, the most magical part of that game was the the in, in addition to the fact that this team just doesn't quit and and they always show up. And and the two players who hit the ball out of the ballpark have phenomenal home stands. But the you know in the moment, the shock of watching our bullpen go out and blow a lead. You know, it, it, that's just like making two errors in a game that just doesn't happen to, to us this year. And, and when it did happen, you, you were just taken aback. And, and I think for the first, you know, the first couple of walks uh, in the ninth inning, you're, you start, you're grinding your teeth thinking, Oh, don't go there. And then as the, the ball travels and, and leaves the ballpark and you're watching it go, it, you're just watching quietly because you can't, you can't conceive of how this would happen after watching you know, four or five months of virtual perfection from a group of guys who have, have been our collective MVP this year. They've done a phenomenal job. And, and, uh, and then when the two balls went out of the park and, and, and eventually Gino hit the game winner, that the, the elation that you felt because a day of struggle that they were due for, you know, we got away with it. Jerry, we got about three weeks left in this season. Looking forward to talking to you next week and certainly beyond that as well. Uh, and obviously hoping and expecting at this point that the season will go beyond those three weeks, but three weeks left in the regular season. It's been a blast. We're having so much fun watching and talking about this team. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Look forward to it.